Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, road trips are really enjoyable, but man, can they be stressful, especially if you have kids. You got to worry about, did we pack all the DVDs? Did we grab the iPads and whatever other devices we're going to entertain the kids with? Did we remember to actually put the kids in the car? That's an important to remember, you finally get on the road, things are going all right, and at some point, somebody's got to go to the bathroom, so you make your stop, you feel like, all right, everybody goes, an hour later, somebody else has to go to the bathroom, even though they just went, an hour later, the person who was fussing about all the people that had got to go to the bathroom has to go to the bathroom, and so you have to stop again, you're going to hit traffic at some point, and then, and then you know during the journey, there's going to be some arguing. From somebody, kids sitting in the back seat, husband and wife arguing over which way to go, over stop driving so fast, quit driving so slow, use your blinker, all kinds of things. Road trips can be stressful. Imagine being an ancient Israelite, traveling wherever you were three times a year, all the way back to Jerusalem. And it's not just you and your family. You're traveling with this big caravan. It's your whole community. All the Jews that live where you live, you load up on donkeys, you're walking, and you're making that multiple day journey all the way back to Jerusalem because you're going there to worship God. And along the way, you're going to run into some problems. There's a lot of dangers along the way. You're traveling in the desert. We're living in a heat wave right now. Imagine traveling through that all the way back to Jerusalem. There's a danger of the weather. There's a danger because it's possible you're going to have to sleep in the open air overnight. You may not be able to find a place to stay. You're going to have danger from people who want to bring you some type of harm, robbers, people who want to steal from you, people who want to physically harm you and that are hiding out along the way, not to mention there's a possibility that along the way somebody could get sick. And what are you going to do when you're a couple of days from home and there's no doctors around? You don't have any medicine to take. And you just got to hope and pray that they make the rest of the journey. You see, every time these ancient Israelites would set out on this journey back to Jerusalem, it was a demonstration of faith. They're traveling back to Jerusalem to worship God just as he told them to do in his law three times a year. And every time they do that, it's a demonstration of faith. They're going to need help from God to get from wherever they are back to Jerusalem so that they can worship him. If you think about it, that really describes the Christian life. We're all on this journey, aren't we? We're all traveling somewhere. We're trying to get to God. And the only way for us to get there is with a little bit of help. We're going to need God to help us along the way because we're all in process. Not just keep us in safety, but we're going to need his help to become the people that he wants us to be. But I want you to listen to me this morning. God loves you. He doesn't just love some future version of you that you think is going to be so more awesome than who you are now. God loves you. He loves this version of you. My kids are nine and 12 years old, and I love this version. Now, it's presented new challenges for us as parents. 
but I love this version of my kids. I have loved every phase that they have been at before, but I love this version of them. I joke with them that I don't know if we're going to survive it, but I do enjoy this version of who they are because I'm thankful for the growth that they've achieved and, and I'm looking forward to the people that they're going to become, but I love this version of them. And it just reminds me that God loves this version of me. He loved the teenage version of me and all the crazy things I did. He loved the mid-20s version of me that thought he had it all figured out. He loves this version of me who has more questions than anything and can be impatient and get angry. And he'll love me in 10 years, Lord willing, in 30 years, Lord willing. He, he loves this version of you. And so we're all in process. We're all in this journey. And here's what I want you to remember this morning. It's that God is just as present in the journey as he is in the destination. Sometimes we think that we're just waiting to get to God and that he'll be there when we get there. Just like the ancient Israelite traveling back to Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, that's where we'll encounter God. But God is present with you right now through the journey just as much as he is in the destination. So if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to join me in Psalm 121. We started a series last Sunday called Summer Playlist where we're looking through the Psalms of the Ascent. They were 15 Psalms that God had given to the ancient Israelites for them to put on repeat as they traveled from wherever they lived back to Jerusalem for Passover, for Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles. They would sing these psalms, they would recite them, they would read them, they would constantly remind themselves of these psalms that were given to them for this journey. They were written at different periods of time, but they were collected together and put together almost in this little psalm book that God wanted them to just listen to over and over and over again. Psalm 121 has a powerful message for those of us that are on this journey of faith. So let's read it together. Psalm 121, it's only eight verses long. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It starts out with that powerful little sentence I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? There's two possible meanings of what that phrase actually means. One of the possible meanings is that back in the ancient time, the place that you encountered pagan gods was on the hills, on the high places. If you wanted to have an encounter with one of the pagan gods in the Old Testament, you had to go to a high place. You would go to the top of the mountain. You would look up to the hills. And so you got to remember that as the ancients were traveling around during this time and they faced all these different dangers, that they would look to the hills for help. They would look to the hills for good weather. They would try to petition the sun god to stay shining so that they wouldn't have all this rain and, and difficult weather to travel through, but they would petition the sun god not to be too hot to beat down on them because that would become dangerous again as well. They would petition other gods to give them certain enchantments that would protect them from evil people along their journey that would try to do them harm. They would petition certain gods to keep them from experiencing sicknesses and uh, running out of food and all kinds of things that they're going to on their journey. And it was this reminder for the ancient that they would look up to the hills, to these false gods, these foreign gods, to find their help along the way. That's one way that you could look at what verse 1 means. Another way that you could look at verse 1 
is that they would look up and they would think about all the things that could go wrong, all the what ifs. Do you play the what if game, especially when you get ready to go on a trip? You're like, what if we break down? What if we have a blowout? What if we run out of gas? What if, what if our car just starts smoking? What are we going to do if we get there and they actually don't have a room for us? You just kind of stress yourself out about all the what ifs. Well, if you were traveling for multiple days and you were walking most of the way or traveling on the back of a donkey in this large caravan, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. What if my family gets sick? What if my child starts running a fever? What if, what if we lose somebody? What if we get robbed or mugged and they steal all of our stuff? What are we going to to do. And so they would play the what if game looking up at all of the different problems that could help that could hinder them on their journey. But I love what the psalmist says. He says, when I look to the hills, where is my help going to come from? My help will come from the Lord. Now that word help is really fascinating. I use the term Yahweh because I like to refer to God by his covenant name all the way back in Exodus chapter three. It's what he told Moses he loved to be referred to as Yahweh. And so when I say Yahweh, I'm talking about Lord, God, Jehovah, whatever term you wanna insert, I love the term Yahweh because it's his covenant name. I just want you to understand that if that's a newer term for you. But this Psalm uses another word that, that's described as Yahweh is with you as your azer. Maybe that's a word you've never really heard of because maybe you're not a Hebrew speaker and neither am I, but it's a really cool word. The word azer is a Hebrew word that's really fascinating. It's packed with all kinds of meaning. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament, I believe 18 or 19 times it's used to refer to God. The first time you meet the word azer in the Hebrew scriptures is in Genesis chapter two, where God creates woman right before he creates the woman. Remember, if you remember that scene, Adam has named all of the animals and he doesn't find a companion. He doesn't find a compatible mate. And so God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him an Azer. Now it's translated in our English translation, a helper or a help me or a helper suitable. And what you're, what you're seeing there in this translation dilemma is they don't know exactly how to translate the word because it's packed with meaning. And so if you read the word helper, well, that can create a, a sort of image in your mind of maybe something that God actually didn't create women to do. It's more than just help. And if you thought God created me as the help as a woman, that could be kind of offensive because it's more, it's way more than that. In fact, if you were to look up this word, it's packed with all kinds of meaning. I'll show you one instance in Deuteronomy chapter 33, where it says, blessed are you Israel, who is like you, a people saved by Yahweh himself. He is your shield and your azer and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. This is a really cool word because in this phrase in this verse, it uses a shield and a sword. And right in the middle is more than help. It's military language. It's battle language. God is coming as your rescuer. He's coming as your deliverer. Did, did the woman come to rescue and deliver the man? Men, do this. Get brownie points today. Absolutely. She, along with Jesus, is your salvation. She's not going to save you, but she is your azer to help you get there. I love this word. It's so powerful. It's a word that means to be rescued or to be delivered. It's packed with all kinds of meaning. Now, back in the late 1700s, a 22-year-old young man named Robert Robertson wrote a powerful hymn that we still sing today. 
you may have heard, come thou fount of every blessing. It's kind of been modernized in certain ways. And there's a verse that we don't always sing because we really don't know what to do with it. It's got a really weird phrase. It's written in Old English anyways, and it says, here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come. Actually, that's a more modern uh, wording of it. The original said, hither by thy help I've come, which is, I don't know the last time you used the word hither, but probably not this week. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And maybe you've sung that for all these years. You've been a Christian all your life and you have, I have no idea what he's raising up. Maybe he's like lifting up Ebenezer Scrooge. Have no idea what he's talking about raising his Ebenezer, but whatever it is, it sounds good. I'm just going to raise my Ebenezer and hope that it's a good thing. And I'm not saying anything bad right here. It's in a church songbook, so it can't be bad. I just have no idea what it means. It's a really cool idea. So all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the Philistines are coming to attack Israel. Israel's scared. And they run to Samuel, their prophet, and they say, Samuel, you got to do something. So Samuel makes an offering to the Lord. And through Samuel's offering, God delivers Israel. And it's a moment Samuel never wants them to forget. And so in 1 Samuel 7, verse 13, it said, Samuel, excuse me, verse 12, Samuel took a stone and he set it between Mizpah and Shin and he called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. Did you catch that? He took a stone and he set it up and it called its name Ebenezer. Eben is the Hebrew word for stone. Azer is the Hebrew word for help, rescuer, deliverer, savior. He took a stone and called it the stone of salvation, the stone of deliverance, the stone of rescue. And he set it up and he said, every time you look at it, you remember all the times that God has saved you and delivered you in the past. The next time the Philistines come and they're threatening you or it's a different nation that's coming, look at this rock. And when you see that rock, you remember the time that God delivered you in the past. And when your heart begins to be filled with anxiety, just look to the Ebenezer stone, the stone of rescue, the stone of deliverance and remind yourself that just as God was with you in the past, he is here with you in the present. Let me ask you this. Do you have any Ebenezer moments? Do you have any moments in your life where God showed up and he worked powerfully and the only way you survived it, the only way you got out of it was only by the help of the Lord. Maybe it was a, a place that you arrived in life or something that you overcame, an addiction, or maybe your marriage was on the rocks, but through the grace of God, it's stronger than than it ever has been, or you come out of a crazy background of upbringing and lifestyle and had nothing, no knowledge or concept of who God is or what he's calling you, and now you're a saved child of God and your life is radically transformed. What is your Ebenezer moment? My guess is many of us in this room have a moment. There's a time in our life where when we look back, we say, man, that's where God acted and he was powerful and he rescued and he delivered and it was a strong moment. My question is, what have you created so that you never forget that moment? If Israel needed a physical reminder, they needed a literal rock to look at so that they would never forget, why would we be any different? We're not. But here's what I know about you because I know it about me. There are times when my heart gets filled with anxiety. And I wonder, God, are you there? Are you going to work? Are you going to do something about this? And it's all because I haven't created something to look at, to remind me of that Ebenezer moment when God worked powerfully, when he brought deliverance, when he showed his presence in my life and brought me through. So here's my challenge. If you've got an Ebenezer moment, create an Ebenezer object 
a physical reminder that you can look at so that when your heart is filled with anxiety, when you're wondering where's my help gonna come from, you remember where your salvation comes from. You remember the source of not just your help, but the source of your azer, your deliverance, your rescue. It's a powerful reminder. Yahweh is with us as our azer, but he's also with us as our keeper. This is another fascinating word that the psalmist uses, the Hebrew word shamar. He uses it six times in this psalm. In fact, as I was reading it, it just kept like jumping up, keep, keep, keep. It's six times it uses the word keep. Some, in certain situations, it translates it a little bit differently, but at least five in most English translations, you read the word keep. It's a word, again, that's packed with imagery. In Genesis chapter three, this word is used talking about the cherubim that are placed at the door of the Garden of Eden and they're guarding it. They are shamaring the door to the Garden of Eden. They're guarding it. They're watching over it. It's used later in Genesis to describe a shepherd watching over the flock. It's also used to describe a person that is tending to a garden. And so it's this reminder that God is with us. He's watching over us. He's tending to us. He is keeping us in his care. And there are three things that the psalmist mentions specifically that God is keeping you from. The first one, excuse me, the first one is from stumbling. Now, you got to remember that to journey to Jerusalem, you're going uphill almost the entire time. Jerusalem sits about 2,800 feet above sea level. And so it was called the mountain of God. And so you're traveling uphill regardless of whatever direction you've come from. If you've ever gone hiking, then you know that stumbling can really be a danger. You can find yourself tripping on a rock or you place your foot somewhere and all of a sudden you've tweaked your ankle and you're in a bit of problem or you step and there's a hole and you didn't realize it. And now your knees hyperextended a little bit or your back catches. All these things can go wrong, especially those of us that have gotten a little bit older. And so walking is not near as simple as it used to be, but traveling uphill is a challenge. Did you know you have an enemy who has made it his goal to cause you to trip and stumble? Not physically, but spiritually. So what The enemy, what Satan does is he's throwing temptations in front of you, trying to get you just to trip and stumble over one. And as you're starting to fall, he continues to to throw temptations to try to get you when you're down, to keep overloading you with temptation so that you just simply can't get back up and keep walking. And God promises, when you view him as your keeper, he promises to guard you from the evil one. It's what Jesus told us we should pray In Matthew 6, deliver us from the evil one. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation can overtake you except as is common to man. We're all facing the same kinds of temptations. They look a little bit different. They're a little bit different flavor of Kool-Aid, but they're all pretty much the same idea. But God will provide a way of escape so that no temptation is overtaking you. There's always a way out because he's guarding you as your keeper as your shepherd watching over you. He's guarding you from stumbling, but he's also guarding you from the obvious. You know, when you're traveling during that time, the sun can just beat you down. And that's what the psalmist talks about. God will guard you from the rays of the sun. And if you know this, working outside in this heat wave, you're okay, you're working, you're sweating, 
and then you're not okay. And it just comes on you just like that. You go from just being really hot to heat exhaustion and heat stroke in the matter of just a few moments. And all of a sudden you realize, I don't feel good. And at that point, it can get really dangerous really quickly. Or you can get so dehydrated that even water won't even be good enough because you burn so much sodium and electrolytes through sweating it out that even just drinking water is no longer good enough. And sometimes you get to a position where they have to put you in something cooler to cool your body temperature down. And and it can become very dangerous. And imagine traveling multiple days through the heat in the desert, trying to travel back to God. And God says, I will guard you from that. He's guarding you from the obvious. It's obvious when the sun is shining and it's hot outside that there are dangers. And so you think about what are some of the obvious sins that God is guarding us from? Galatians 5 talks about some, describes it as the works of the flesh, immorality, division, jealousy, sensuality, drunkenness, idolatry. Those are some of the big sins. Whatever you think is a big sin, that's something that God is trying to guard you from. And we're really good at categorizing them and pointing them out. They're not always easy to see in our life, at least to develop, but we know that that's a really big deal. That's a big sin, if you will. We got the big sins and then the little sins, right, that are not as big of a deal to us, even though all sin is sin in God's eyes. And he's guarding you from the obvious ones, the ones that will trip you up. But he's also guarding you from the subtle ones. It talks about from the moonlight. He's guarding you from the moonlight. The message translation has a really interesting way that it paraphrases it. It says it's guarding you from moonstroke. There was this idea back in ancient times that if you slept underneath the moon, that the rays from the moon, the light from the moon, could cause mental disturbance. Now we know today that the moon is not doing any of that. But what we do know today is that if you've ever been around somebody that has dementia, that at nighttime, things get a little bit more complicated. Medical professionals refer to it as sundowning. Whether it's at nighttime or at a full moon, for whatever reason, it begins to affect the mind in some capacity. We even say today that when there's a full moon, people kind of lose their minds, right? ERs are busy or police are busy or we have no idea why, but people get a little crazy when there's a full moon out. It's, maybe it's an ancient mindset. Maybe there's something to it. I have no idea. Either way, what the psalmist is reminding us of is that God is there to guard us from these subtle things, things you don't really think about that can creep into your heart, things like anxiety, where all of a sudden you're no longer fully trusting God. You're concerned about all the what ifs. What if this happened and what if this happened? And what if they do this? And you're, not, you're not able, unable to fully give God your heart because you're concerned about all the things that could possibly happen that probably never will. Or things like discontentment, where you were good with what God had given to you until something newer came out, nicer, better, sleeker, faster, more expensive. And now yours is a little bit older, slower, not as nice, not as shiny. And all of a sudden there's this discontent in your heart. And all you can do is think about what you don't have as opposed to what you do. And it pulls your focus off of him. And the next thing you know, your heart has drifted from him. And it's not intentional. You didn't intentionally wake up and say, today I want to be an anxious person. Today, I, I, want to, I want to be discontent. Today, I want to battle self-image. You didn't wake up and decide that. 
it just sort of creeped into your life really subtly and it just slowly pulled your heart a little bit, a little bit, a little bit away from him to where over time you go, how have I gotten here? How have I gotten so far off track? I didn't commit any of those big sins. It's because the enemy was subtly working. I love that God promises to guard us, not just from the big things, but from the subtle things. There's an author named Eugene Peterson. He wrote the message translation of the Bible you could find in your Bible app. He authored a book called The Long Road uh, to Obedience. And it's a book that I've been reading over the last couple of months, preparing this series that I've been pulling from as a resource. And he's got a quote in his book. He said, the Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same governments, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline. This was written way before things were as expensive as they are now. Fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will guard us from every evil. He guards our very life. I don't know if you know this, but you are living in an outrage and reaction society. For everything that happens, you're encouraged to react in some way and the best way to react in our current culture is to be outraged in some capacity, either on this end of the spectrum or on this end of the spectrum. You turn on the news and it's outrage. Everybody is mad. Everybody is reacting to something. Something happens, you got to post about it. You got to give your reaction to it on your favorite social media account. I love what Psalm 121 is guarding us from. It is guarding us from reacting in a way that is not in accordance with God's will. It is guarding us from just being filled with, re with outrage and just bouncing from one opinion to the next, from one news source to the next, from one story to the next. And it's this reminder that God is just as present in the journey as he is in the destination. And my heart does not have to be filled with anxiety. It does not have to be filled with outrage. It does not have to be filled with whatever the reaction is for today. I am guarded by a God who is constantly with me. He is my azer. He is my keeper. He is present with me. When trouble comes, when anxiety fills my heart, where will I look to for help? I want to remember I will look to the Lord who made heaven and earth. So here's my homework for you this week. My challenge to you is every day this week, read Psalm 121. First thing you wake up in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, read Psalm 121. If lunch break is a better time, if afternoon, if right before you go to bed is a better time, read Psalm 121. It's eight verses long. It won't take you more than 60 seconds at the most, unless you slow down, really pay attention, really focus on every word and remind yourself and let that be the song that you put on repeat this week to remind you of the God who is there, who promises to deliver, to rescue, and to be your azer in your time of need, to the God who promises to guard you, to guard you from the obvious things, from the subtle things, to guard you from stumbling, to guard you from outrage, to guard you from reacting. He promises to be there in every way that you need him to. So this morning, if you are ready to give your life to Jesus, I want to remind you of the lyrics of this song. 
if your heart's been filled with anxiety, if you've been struggling on your journey, if you're worried that God is not pleased with who you are and you struggle with who God created you to be or whether or not God truly loves you, I want to remind you of the lyrics of this song. I want you to raise your Ebenezer. I want you to think about a moment in your past that God has worked powerfully, that God showed up in a mighty way. And were it not but for him, there's no way you would have made it through. Raise that moment up and remind yourself of where your help is coming from. And by his good pleasure, we will one day safely arrive at his home. We're not where we want to be what we talked about last week. We know where we want to get to, as Phil talked about. We know the end of the movie. We know where we're trying to get to. And by his help and by his grace, Lord willing, we will make it. This morning, if we can encourage you in any way, if you want to put Jesus on in baptism, if you want someone to pray over you, our shepherds would love to, go, to guide you and to tend to you and to minister to you this morning. If we can help you in any way, Won't you let us know as we stand and sing?